0: uh, continue our series on the, on the book of Romans uh, this morning. Uh, just uh, uh, you go ahead and, and open up your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 23 today. Romans chapter 6. Verses 15 through 23. So go ahead and, and open up your Bibles uh, there. And while you do, we'll do just a quick uh, a reminder of what we've looked at so far uh, in Romans uh, through these first six chapters. We've uh, Paul has uh, made sure and let us know that uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there is no one on the face of the earth, no matter how religious they are, no matter uh, who their parents were, who their ancestors were, no matter what church they go to, right? Uh, We are all guilty before God in our sin. Uh, But then uh, he also goes on to let us know uh, that uh, we don't have to remain in our sin, but you and I can be reconciled with God through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross if we will put our faith in him. Uh, The law cannot save us, rules cannot save us, right? The Ten Commandments cannot save us. Only the grace and mercy of God and our faith in Him and who He is and who He said He is uh, will uh, result in salvation. We looked at words like righteousness and justification and that uh, righteousness is being in right standing with God. And uh, justification is when God says it's just like you never sinned. that He casts our sins as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. And last week we uh, looked at, uh, you know, uh, that, that mercy that God has on us and how uh, uh, we are to be dead in our sins but alive in Christ uh, if you recall, and, and uh, that we are to be slaves to sin any longer, that Jesus Christ through his death and his resurrection, just like Adam brought sin into the world through one act, uh, Jesus brought life into the world uh, through one act. And if we identify with him, uh, then uh, we are saved, right? And just like he died, we died. And just like he was resurrected, we are resurrected in a new life. We are new creations. The old has passed away. We are new. But we are also still in the flesh. And he talked began the subject last week of sanctification, the process by which you and I are made holy. And we looked at two aspects of sanctification. There's positional sanctification, whereas God declares you and I holy, Despite, regardless of who we are, it is an act of his grace and his mercy. Positionally before God, God says, you are holy. And you and I need to get that through our minds, that we are holy, that we are different. We aren't the same person we used to be. We are set apart by God in his kingdom as his child, and we can call him daddy, father. Which Paul is going to further talk about here in the book of Romans. But also, right, Uh, There is the progressive sanctification, whereas you and I daily strive to walk in holiness, to be conformed to the image of Christ, right? For God to make us more like his son. Uh, We know that on this earth, we will never achieve perfect holiness as it relates to our actions and our behavior. Why? Because of our flesh. And Paul is going to talk more about that in the coming chapters. But as long as we are in this skin, in this body, in this flesh, you and I will have a propensity to sin. Right? Now we have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. He will guide us and direct us and he will prick our hearts. And he will say, you probably don't want to do that. He'll check our words. He'll check our thoughts. He'll check our actions. He can also give us the strength to overcome. Right? But in this flesh, we are weak. And if we do not feed the spirit, then the flesh will overcome the spirit inside of us. Amen. We'll listen to the holy. Uh, we'll listen to our flesh and not the Holy Spirit, and therefore we will be disobedient to God. Uh, as Christians, we are to die to sin and be alive in Christ. And Paul says we do not have to be subject to sin any longer. It should not reign in our mortal bodies. And the key to not allowing sin to reign or have control and dominate us was in two words. The first was reckon, if you recall. Reckon was where God's, uh, Paul said, reckon yourselves that you belong to Christ. Come to the understanding, the belief that you are God's. We need to get that through our minds. And two present ourselves not to be obedient to sin, but present ourselves as alive in Christ, meaning we make a willful decision to not sin, right? Uh, So we do have the ability to say no to sin, but as long as we're in this flesh, we have a propensity for sin. All right, and so that brings us now uh, to chapter six or to verses 15 through 23. Paul is going to continue his uh, discussion of sanctification, and I uh, encourage you to be here next week, uh, not Adam's Lord's will, for Romans chapter seven, because that's a good one. Paul really has some good information as it relates to those of us. And all of us who continue to struggle with sin. Uh, so make sure that you're here next week for that one. But let's start here by looking at verses 15 through 19. So remember, Paul has now said that uh, the law is, can't save us. The law is there to tell us what is right is what is wrong and how far we are from God's standard. The law in and of itself cannot save us. We can never be obedient enough to God's law to be saved. Okay, so that's number one. And it is grace and grace alone. But Paul doesn't say the law is useless. He says the problem is it's the function of the law is not to save us. The function of the law is to let us know we need to be saved. Right? All right, so let's look at this. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Uh, Do you not know that to whom you present uh, yourselves slaves to obey... You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or if obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having uh, been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present yourselves, uh, your members, as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So let's begin to break this down. Again, if you'll recall, he did this earlier in chapter 6 where he asked a rhetorical question. He anticipates uh, the argument from those uh, religious leaders, the Pharisees and those who, uh, who were uh, you know, attached to the law and not accepting of Christ's sacrifice. One of their arguments was is that Paul was actually saying that the law was no good, which is not what Paul was saying. Uh, and also they were uh, also making the argument that uh, with Paul saying that uh, salvation was for grace alone, that you could uh, behave however you wanted to be behave, right? You didn't need to worry about your behavior. you could sin as much as you wanted to sin. and there were individuals that will look out further in uh, Romans the belief that our bodies and our spirits are separate, okay? The belief that, uh, once you're saved, your spirit is saved, your spirit is clean, your spirit is holy, your body doesn't matter. So if I sin all over in the flesh, that's okay, right? And that was taking grace to a non-scriptural viewpoint that uh, to make that delineation that we could behave any way we want to because we're saved. And the truth is we do have a, a remnant of that in our church, there are people who believe once you're saved, Right? You could behave how, I, I heard a, a preacher preach one time. And he said, uh, yeah, once you're saved, you're saved. And even though you may sin and sin and sin and sin and act terrible, you're still going to make it to heaven. And that's not the place. Because Paul says, if you and I are saved, we will be obedient. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't obey my commands? Right? Uh, if you and I are truly saved, we will be obedient to Christ. And our lives will reflect the inward reality. Doesn't mean we won't mess up. Doesn't mean we won't have moments where we sin. But as I said last week, our lives will not be characterized by sin, right? When you look at our lives, it won't be that we were submissive to sin. It'll be that we have shortcomings. We made mistakes. We failed. But what made David a man after God's own heart was what? His closeness with God and his willingness to repent. Yes. Yeah. His willingness to say, God, I'm sorry. You know, when he was confronted with his hand, he said, I'm sorry. Moses was not perfect. Moses made mistakes. Yet God still used Moses. His life was not characterized by sin. It was characterized by obedience to God. Okay? Now, so he says, what then? Shall we, say, uh, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. If you remember that phrase from last week, certainly not. That's Paul's way of saying, absolutely not. If you could possibly believe this, you are crazy. Right, that is completely opposite of everything that I have ever taught, everything that Jesus taught, all of the God, it is completely and utterly uh, 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 devoid of any merit at all. And the fact that anyone would say this, it means that they're not genuine. Right, because he never once said the law. In fact, when Paul would go into a city, do you know where he started? The synagogue. He started in the temple. He started where they went to worship. He started in their prayer groups, right, Uh, to their meetings. That's where he went first, to the Jews. And when he went to the Jews, he did not walk in there and go, the law is no good, the law is terrible, we don't need the law. He knew, he was smarter than that. He went in there and he said, this is the law, this is the importance of the law. This is why the law is good for us. It demonstrates our sin. It, it's, what we, it's what you and I need to, it's, it's the standard that God expects us to live up to. But praise God, none of us can live up to the standard. So Jesus Christ died and faith in him alone will save us. The resulting being, what did God say the greatest commands were? Love God, love people. If you love God, we will serve God, be obedient to God. If we love people, we will serve people, love people, and help people in our relationship with God, our relationship with people. All right. So certainly not. That's crazy. Let's look at verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So what Paul is saying here, there's that word present from previously in chapter 6. If you and I present ourselves, whoever we present our, ourselves to obey, that is the one whom we belong to. Right? So if you and I obey to sin and our, uh, our lives are characterized by, characterized by rebelliousness, then our master is still sin. If we are serving God and striving every day to walk in holiness and be conformed to the image of his son and to uh, be changed, then we are slaves to Righteousness. All right, then we are slaves to Christ. Now here's the here's the harsh truth, and actually it's not harsh truth. It's just the truth. You are a slave to somebody. I'm a slave to somebody. It doesn't matter what your social economic status is. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It does not matter your education level. It doesn't matter how wealthy wealthy you are. Or uh, nothing. Uh, nothing is predicated when we were born in this world. We were slaves to sin. At some point. God has mercy upon us, and we no longer are slaves to sin. We are now slaves to Christ. We belong to Christ. Remember, we talked about this last week. We've been bought with a price. The death of Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins, so we now belong to Him. Right? We belong to Christ, we are His. Okay, so Paul says, uh, don't present your, or whoever you present your slaves to obey, that's who you belong to. So again, if you are a slave to sin, you're leading to death. And if you're a slave to God, it leads to righteousness, being in right standing with Him. But it is a willful decision who we present ourselves to, meaning we can choose not to sin. All right, and that is unmistakable in scripture. All right, let's continue now to verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. So even though you and I were once slaves to sin, We no longer have to be slaves to sin because when we uh, accept Christ as Lord and Savior, we die to sin. We're given life uh, through him and we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. But like we talked about last week and my dad in his ugly suits, we like to hang up that uh, that sin in the closet uh, and put it on when it suits us. Right. Uh, We like to uh, we like to take out that old filthy righteousness. Uh, when uh, when it suits us to hang out with the wrong people, to participate in the wrong behaviors, right, to justify our sins. Uh, and then when we're done with it and when, when we made it, you got it all good and dirtied up, we'll try to hang it back up in the closet and clothe ourselves back in the righteousness of Christ, that beautiful, clean, white garment. And that's not how it works. So we're not to be slaves to sin. Thank God we can now be slaves to righteousness and to Christ. Verse 17, and he says, you were given this form of doctrine to which you were delivered. That word form there, the Greek word for that is to talk about a mold. Like you would mold uh, ice cubes in. And actually more here, it's for molding metal. But for our benefit, none of you probably mold metal or cast things out of metal. So it's a mold like your kids use in Play-Doh, right? Uh, Ruth loves to play with Play-Doh. Absolutely loves it. Makes a huge mess with it, but loves it. And so we got her these toys. And, uh, you know, she when she uses the toys, man, she presses it into that mold and pushes and pushes and pushes, right? It's squeezing out the sides, and, you know, it's in, but it's in that mold. And when you take it out of the mold, it looks just like the item that the, the mold represents. And that word there is, it's forcing us, when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, God is putting us in the mold of doct- his doctrine. And we are to grow in that not resist it not fight back not try to climb out of the mold we are to allow ourselves to be molded by the doctrine the good news of Jesus Christ which is that we're no longer slaves to sin we are now slaves to Christ through faith in him right molded in that doctrine and what's great is God puts us in the mold He gets us there as as believers, as as children of God. When you and I uh, accept Christ as Lord and Savior, he puts us in the mold. And, And if you remember, if you could remember how hungry you were for scripture when you first got saved, how you wanted to read the word, you wanted to be in church, you wanted to pray, you wanted to be in God's presence, all that newness and that excitement, that's there that God, the Holy Spirit, places inside of us when you and I are saved. Now, over time, as we take God for granted, right? Over time, as we've been saved and in church for a long, long time, there are those of us, uh, me included, who take God for granted and we lose that excitement. But God gives us that excitement at the beginning that we would be hungry and thirsty for the milk of God's word. So like Paul says, eventually we would not be children tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine, right? But that we would be able to eat the meat of the word to get to the place in our doctrine that we cannot be swayed left or right. No matter, even if it's a pastor, a church a movement, anything that is contrary to God's word, even if millions of people believe it, that we do not get pulled into that. Right? Okay. Romans chapter twelve of verse two, which we'll, we will look at here in a few chapters, he says, that "Do not be conformed uh, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God." Uh, the word "conformed" here is assuming an outward expression that does not reflect an inward reality, right? So, what Paul is saying in chapter two or chapter twelve, verse two, is that you and I are not to uh, behave in a manner that is opposite of what is, in, what is the inward reality, that you and I are saved. So don't conform ourselves to the world. Meaning, we don't put ourselves in positions where the world could try to stuff us in their mold. We don't put ourselves in positions where you and I would compromise the internal reality with outward words and actions. So if we are not behaving like Christ... We are compromising ourselves, right? As far as our relationship with God and the inward reality of the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? So we're not to be conformed by the world, but we are to be transformed. No longer like the world, right? That word transformed, the Greek word, is where we get our word metamorphosis, like with a butterfly. You go in like a caterpillar, you come out a completely different creature. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That means uh, getting into God's word and that doctrine that God makes us hungry for. The Holy Spirit puts uh, that desire in our hearts to drink and consume Doctrine, And over time, our minds will be renewed to make sure that our outward actions always reflect the inward reality. The Bible says, uh, from out of the mouth flows the abundance of the heart. Mm -hmm. So we need to make sure that you and I are eating and drinking God's word. Mm -hmm. To make sure all of the junk, those remnants that's left over from the old man get flushed and are replaced with God's word and truth. All right, verse 18. And having been set free from sin, you become slave, became slaves of righteousness. So in the unity of Christ's death, uh, through Christ's death, we are set free from sin. No longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. Just like I said before, right? And I know that it seems redundant and Paul is saying this a lot. But you have to understand, and he started in the beginning of chapter 6. He's letting these people know they don't have to act in sin. They don't have to be dominated or controlled by sin. Their lives do not have to be controlled by sin. And that battle starts where? Right here. Understanding. Coming to grips with the fact that we are no longer who we used to be. We are new creations in Christ. And we, if if we're not getting it, we need to ask God to help us to get it. Because that attitude will affect our ability on whether we can control our will or not. Control ourselves to act upon what God says is right. And what the, if we have any question in here on whether we are set apart and whether we can say no to sin, then sin will always dominate us. So that's why Paul is just pushing this so hard that you and I don't have to be slaves to sin. We are slaves to Christ. Sin does not have to consume us or dominate us in our lives. He says in verse uh, verse nineteen, "I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh." What Paul is saying here is due to the immaturity of his audience. Right? He's having to use a very dirty, worldly example so that they can understand it. Paul is giving them an illustration from a, a, a you know what uh, an institution. Slavery, but he's trying to drive home the point in a way that they'll understand that you don't have to be a, a slave to sin. That Sin is not your master. Christ is your master. It was something that they could understand, and he had to present it in such a way because they were not ready to accept deeper theological teaching. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty straightforward. I either serve sin or I serve Christ. Right? But uh, it's not always slavery. It's not a a positive thing back then, and it is not a positive thing today. But it is the way that Paul explained it so his whole audience could understand that we once belonged to sin, and Jesus Christ bought us and now owns us. But the great thing about God is, is he doesn't treat us like he owns us. Right? Uh, He treats us uh, like a friend. He treats us like a child, which we'll get later into, uh, into chapter and, and the book of Romans. And we talk about what adoption means into his kingdom, to be his son or daughter. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members of slave, as slaves of righteousness For holiness, all right? So he's saying, just like you used to, sin like crazy. And here's the thing with sin. He says, sin, when you and I are lawless, it results in more lawlessness. That is a principle that I'm sure all of you have seen in your lives. When you give into one sin, it becomes easier to give into it again and again and again and again, right? Uh, you know, I, I'm in a habit of eating something sweet after I eat lunch, dinner, after a meal, right? Uh, my poor wife, I'll go to her and say, what do we got sweet in the house, right? Uh, and so I'm in a habit of that. Now, there have been times when I've broken that habit uh, where I did not uh, feel that uh, compunction, uh, you, you know, desire that... Is it compunction? Am I saying that right? Compulsion. Thank you, Ben. Can't speak. That compulsion to have to have that sweet. But once I gave in once, guess what? This old body wanted it again and again and again, right? And so that's exactly what sin does for us. You give in once and it becomes easier to give in again. And then what's even worse about sin is it snowballs, right? So instead of going to me eating a, a piece of candy, it turns into a bowl of ice cream, right turns into a piece of cake and a bowl of ice cream right it just it snowballs and that's what sin does to us that's why James said that when sin is given birth it produces death sin starts out as a fault it goes through your will you make a choice to act upon it and as soon as you act upon it it results in death and sin will always result in death Right, and it, but it starts right here as an act of our will, and uh, as if if we will trust in the Holy Spirit, seek God, feed that Spirit, man, we can say no to sin, but we are still in our flesh, yeah. and boy, is it hard. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I have issues with uh, with depression. I'm bipolar, and I will tell you that when I have one of my down deep dives, uh, I, saying no to sin becomes very hard because I, I want to make myself feel better for just a moment than how I felt, right? If you, I'm sure you guys have triggers. Basically, we have things in our lives, events, words, actions based on our lives and our experiences that can cause us to be susceptible to the enemy tempting us to sin. I heard someone, a preacher say early this week, it's not that the devil knows your mind. He cannot read your mind. There's not one part in scripture that says that the devil is omniscient and knows everything or knows what we think or any of his minions, any of the demons. But he's had thousands of years to learn how man behaves. He is the world's greatest psychologist. He knows man's weaknesses in and out. He knows every variance. He knows everything. And and his minions have been watching you read the screw tape letters sometimes uh, by C.S. Lewis, and it will scare you, even though it is is a a fiction. It is amazing the way C.S. Lewis explains how the enemy watches us and looks at us and evaluates us and knows our every weakness and how we think. Right? And he learns that by watching us from the time that we're children. He watches how our parents treated us. He watches how our friends treated us, our jobs treat us. He knows our weaknesses, and so he can uh, get us at our most vulnerable. That's why Peter said, our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's hungry. He knows exactly how to get us away from the pack and then pounce. But what does Peter say? Resist him and he will flee. Meaning, get yourself out of that triggering situation as soon as possible. What I like to do is shut myself away. I have to make a conscious decision not to shut myself away. One of the things I did was my office is no longer in the basement, my office is on the main level. So I cannot go and hide. I could go in my office and shut the door, but I'm always there. I'm always on that main level and Kelly or anyone could come and knock on that door at any given time. Right? And it also makes me be on the main level means I can hear my family. I can hear my grandkids or I can hear my kids or I can hear my wife talking and it helps pull me out. Right? So. It, that resisting means doing everything we can to get ourselves out of that situation where we might be tempted. If you're an alcoholic, don't go to a bar. If you struggle with drugs, don't go you know, uh, hang out with people who do drugs. If you struggle with your temper, stay away from things that cause you to be angry right, or, or or activities that affect your mind and your behavior, If it, right if you struggle with uh, with relationships and trying uh, you know, struggle uh, with, with who we hang out with, don't hang out with them anymore, make a decision not to put yourself around them anymore, right you're not who you used to be, you gotta be different, uh, I know people have said, well I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna win all my friends for Christ, yes praise the Lord for you, but the minute that your friends are more of an influence on you than you are on them it's time to cut bait and run right? Right? Uh, Paul said that uh, uh, what good would it is I preach to everybody else and still lose my own self Mm -hmm. right? So preach, preach, preach go, go, go Uh, you know, teach, teach, teach but if those people are influencing you and having more of an impact on you than you are on them, it's time to cut bait, get out of there Right, Because you do not want to compromise who we are in Christ. Any, anything that would cause us to sin, run from it. Don't put us in those sinful positions. Right? Anything. And remember this. Everything is not... Things that calls us, that can put us in a position where we might compromise, and in and of itself may not be sin. And that's one of the ways the devil lures us in too. It's not a sin to go to the sports bar, right, and watch football and, and with your friends. It's a sin when they start making horrible jokes and inappropriate jokes and using foul language, and we jump right in and start telling those jokes and participating in the conversation and being awful, right? I, will, I am going to tell you a story about your pastor that I'm going to omit certain details because you're not ready for the full story yet. So I will say it like this. I was young, I was 24 maybe. Went on a, uh, one of my first business trips out to Colorado uh, with a, a, a coworker of mine who was also a good friend of mine. And to not give too much detail, to just say that they wanted to go shoot pool. And I, I love pool, I love to shoot pool. I, have, I enjoy it, it's fun. But when we went to the place to shoot pool, uh, it was not a pool hall. And I ended up sitting in my in the rental car in the back seat while they spent like an hour and a half to two hours in this place. I picked up the phone. I called my wife. I said, honey, this is what happened. I'm sitting in the car. Just want you to be aware. And so... I was in a bad situation because I had my coworkers, there were three coworkers and me who all went inside and as soon as I realized that it was not a pool hall, I came and I sat in the car. You know how embarrassing that was? But I was not gonna compromise myself. Cannot compromise. Shooting pool was not a sin. Doing it where they wanted to do it was. But I I had a choice to make in that situation. Be peer pressured and stay. Or go and be embarrassed to sit in the car. Anything that alters our state of mind or causes us to compromise who we are in Christ is a sin. And that means something could be a sin for you and not for somebody else. That's what Paul writes in what Paul writes in Corinthians. Right? Uh, what is lawful for me may not be good lawful for you. You may struggle with it. So therefore, uh, don't. I'm not going to encourage you to violate your conscience. Mm-hmm. Right? So you, know, you may not consider, it may not be a problem for you to consume a drink, but it may be a problem for somebody else to consume a drink because they have a problem with it, right? It may uh, be okay. You may be good with going into a bar and watching a football game and not being tempted, but someone else may, and we should strive to not then put them in a situation where they would compromise and, and sin. Does that make sense? All right. All right, let's look at verse 20. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Very basic fact. If you're a slave to one thing, you're free in something else. If you're a slave to righteousness, you're free from sin. If you're a slave to sin, you're a slave to righteousness. Or free free from righteousness. The problem is we don't want to be free from righteousness. And we don't want to be slaves to sin. We want that to be reversed. We want to be free from sin and slaves to righteousness. All right? Verse 21. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, right? So what good was it? What benefit was it? What was the result of you and I participating in ha- behaviors that are against God's will? Did it uh, impact our relationship with him? Yes. Did it maybe hurt relationships with others? Yes. Did it cause me to compromise who I was? Yes. Right? You see what I'm saying? Did I hurt my children? Yes. Did I hurt my friends? Yes. Did I cause to be a bad witness to those around me? Yes. Was I a hypocrite? Yeah. You see where I'm going with that, right? The fruit of our sin is death and it is never good. It is destructive. It is like a hurricane. And like I said in weeks past, our sin never just affects us. That is a fallacy That is a false lie that is presented by the world that it only hurts me, it's only about me, it's about me, and I don't bother anybody else, and that is a lie. It's a lie from the devil. When you and I act in a way that is rebellious before God, have participated in behaviors that we know are sin, we are not the only victims. We hurt everybody around us. When I, uh, Kelly and I first got married, I was a very, very angry person. Uh, and uh, I was not good to be around. I'll just, I'm just going to tell you flat out, uh, Kelly had every right to leave me. I was mean and I was bitter and I was angry and I didn't know what it was to be a husband or how to love her or even to love my children. And so I was bad, mean person. I was gone from the house maybe 18 hours out of the 24 hour day because I was going working and going to school. I was gone all the time. And when I was home, I was not a pleasure to be around. And even though I thought I was only hurting myself, I was hurting my family. There was another time in my life uh, when I uh, was running from God and Kelly was uh, just, again, she's a saint, taking our boys to church because I would not go to church. Uh, and She would take, still taking our boys. And I, uh, I was sitting at home and I was stewing and I was awful for that time period. Uh, and I was terrible to my boys. I, I was terrible to my wife. I was mean. I was hateful, right? I was grumpy and I hurt them. I was being selfish and self-centered and I hurt those around me. We all have examples where we have been self-centered and hurt those around us. Made a decision about us of something we wanted without considering anybody else, right? Even when we convince ourselves that the right action to protect everybody else is to take a specific action ourselves and we think it's only gonna affect us, it is affecting those around us, right? Even if we have convinced ourselves it is a noble act, we are hurting those around us. Our kids, our spouses, our parents, our families, our friends, we're hurting them. So when you are in the midst of of, of suffering or midst of sin, and you're tempted to make selfish decisions, do everything you can to get out of that situation so that you can start listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and ask God to give you the strength and the wisdom to move and to say no. God will give us the strength to say no if we will ask him. He will give us the strength, we just have to ask. And the Holy Spirit will prompt us and prompt us and prompt us. If we ignore him, his voice gets quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter, right? And every one of us is guilty, every single one of us. Your thing that you struggle with, that you have silenced the voice of the Holy Spirit on may not be visible to everybody else. It may just be between you and and God. Only you and God know about it. Your spouse doesn't even know about it, right? But we all have those things in our lives where we we have literally with our actions and our choices told the Holy Spirit, hush, be quiet. You're not important. And we never wanna get to the place where we no longer can hear the Holy Spirit's voice over our own selfishness and self-centeredness. And I am preaching to myself this morning. Verse 22. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you'll have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So now when we present ourselves no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to God, we now, our fruit is sanctification, that positional sanctification, but also that progressive sanctification where we continue to say no to sin and yes to Christ as we are molded into the image of Christ. Okay, so that is that work of of, of holiness, the fruit of holiness. And then ultimately, the end of everything is everlasting life with Christ. That glorified body that will never be tempted to sin again, will never be able to sin again, right? Uh, Which I can't wait to get a hold of. Right? When I am out of this flesh and I'm in my glorified body. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our sin will result in death and destruction, even after we're saved. Our sins, there are consequences to our behaviors and sin. It does not mean that God hasn't or won't forgive us, but there are always consequences and there can be destruction. Sometimes God delivers us from the consequences. Sometimes he doesn't. I know he's delivered me from a consequence or two, uh, but there's also been times where he hasn't. Right? Uh, So there are consequences, but the great thing about God is he will forgive us, and, listen, someone hear me today, he can redeem what was lost. Amen. That's the great thing about God. He will redeem the time. Yes. Redeem the time. Meaning, he, what was lost, what may have been destroyed, he can redeem it. So that what, you can be, it, can be, it can be reconciled before God that God restores to us yeah. the time. Right? And that's awesome. Right? Uh, so that's the great thing about God is that gift of his, he, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness is available to all of us, regardless of our past or present, uh, his, uh, our future. It's a free gift through faith in him. And let's get it through our minds that we are holy and we no longer belong to sin, but we belong to Christ. Let us stand. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach the loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.ReviveOC.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia 224. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.